0: welcome to the St. George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the talk. Well, Happy Easter! Now, uh, some people are like, Easter, Easter was last weekend, Joanna, and uh, we're moving on now. But we are still in Easter season. In fact, the truth of the death and the resurrection of Jesus is why we're here and why we are called to be an Easter people. So actually, I would love us to say Happy Easter to each other in the middle of August. And, uh, and some people might look at you strange, but it reminds you, we are called to be an Easter people, a people of resurrection hope. But you know... As we look out on our world at the moment, there is a crisis of hope. A crisis of hope. Within the history of the West, there was this idea that things were only going to get better. I'm not going to sing. But things were just going to progress. Things were going to get bigger and stronger and better. Two world wars and many, many local wars throughout the 20th and 21st century have caused people to question that and have dented people's hope. It shook people to the core. You know, people placed their hopes in institutions and many of them have crumbled. And they're constantly questioned. And those that remain, are they speaking for the good of all? People place their hopes in money. And discovered that it can so easily be taken away. It can be stolen. It can evaporate in a market crash. It can be lost People place their hopes in surface beauty. As long as everything looks okay, we'll be okay. And discovered that surface beauty fades, and underneath hurts. People place their hopes in the ability of people to seek peace, and the wars raging around the world make us question. People place their hopes in technology, and there have been amazing discoveries and fantastic things have moved forward but we've discovered that technology cannot fix all the brokenness and at times has opened doors for more hurt and more pain people place their hopes in being able to work longer and faster and more efficient and more efficiently and just became exhausted People place their hopes in health and then there was a worldwide pandemic that brought sorrow and grief and confusion and continues to impact on the world. There is a crisis of hope. thanks Joanna, I'm in the middle of deadlines and I came to church for some joy and you have genuinely cheered me up. But the truth is that we are called to be a people of hope. To be a people of hope. A people who live in the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ And have the gift of hope. Joe, Sometimes we sing a song. I don't know if you remember this song. And it says, um, you've set your hope in me. You've set your hope in me. Now, I used to completely misinterpret that line. I used to think it was God saying, I'm really hoping you're going to do okay, Joe. I'm really hoping, you know, that you're going to pull through. I was totally wrong you set your hope in me means God has given the gift of hope for that is what it is, a gift and placed it within me. And this hope that he offers to each one of us is not a wishful thinking kind of a hope it's all going to be okay kind of a hope. A hope that, that it's not going to rain tomorrow. A hope that Liverpool are going to do the quadruple. I said, For any Liverpool fans in the building. I don't think there are any, are there? Oh Oh, yes, well done. Uh, But but let's be honest, it's a bit of wishful thinking. It's not that kind of a hope that we're talking about. We're talking about a sure and certain resurrection hope, a hope that stands the test of time, a hope that stands every circumstance. A hope that looks with a confidence to the day when Jesus will return and every tear will be wiped from our eyes. A hope that enables us to walk with confidence into tomorrow, whatever your tomorrow holds. That's the kind of hope that we're going to look at over these next few weeks together. What a great thing to look at. We want to look at where does that hope come from? How do we receive that gift of hope? What does it actually look like, and what does it look like to live in it and to offer it to a world that is longing for hope and looking in all the wrong places? So let's dive in. When we started in our reading that Josh read for us from 1 Corinthians. And uh, in this reading, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. Now, at the time, Corinth was a city where you got status if you were wealthy. You know, if you'd built the best and most beautiful villa. You got status if you were really capable and able and quick thinking and could win any argument. They loved to have debates. And the most kind of quick-witted would put the other one down. You got status. You got status if you were a great military leader and you came back from war and great power. They were the people that people looked up to. And some of that, some of that status thinking had got into the church. And, and people within the church were arguing, who is the most important? Who holds the place of honor? Who should have the most important seat? And Paul is writing to this church and saying, I want to remind you who God is and how he works. Because he doesn't work with those values. Paul says God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, he chose the weak things to shame the strong, he chose the lowly things of this world. He chose the despised things. This seems so countercultural to that context of Corinth, but if we're honest, it feels really countercultural to what the world we're living in. But we shouldn't be surprised. If we trace the hand of God through the pages of our Bibles, through the stories, we find that God again and again and again chooses to work with those on the edge, chooses to work with the least expected, chooses to work with the ones that the world has said, you're not going to amount to much. Take, for example, the start. He speaks to Abraham, and he promises that Abraham is going to be the father of many and be a blessing to the nations. And then with every generation, he chooses the younger son. He chooses Isaac over Ishmael. He chooses Jacob over Esau. He chooses Joseph over Reuben. If you don't know these stories, if you've never heard of them, there are amazing stories in our Bible. And in each one, God chooses the younger son, which at the time was not what you did when you were handing on your inheritance. And then when it came to the choosing of King David, a new king, there is a man called Jesse, and he has many sons. And he's told to line them up because one of them is going to be the new king. Jesse doesn't even bother to get David in from the fields because he thinks he's so insignificant. He lines up all his other sons, seven of them, in line, tall, handsome. And God says, no. It's none of them. You must have another son. Jesse hadn't even shortlisted. And so he calls in David. And David is anointed king. And when it comes to the women in the Old Testament, God works through Sarah, who was considered too old. He works through Leah, who was considered too ugly to be chosen in marriage. He works through Hannah, who was unable to have children. He chooses Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba. These were women, some of whom sinned and some of whom were sinned against. They were women who were morally and racially and socially marginalized. God chooses to work through them. And then if we looked on the world scale, God could have chosen... The Egyptians, or the Assyrians, or the Babylonians, or maybe the Greeks, or the Egyptians. Because each of these great peoples became, at some point in history, really influential economically, culturally, powerfully. Why did God not choose one of those nations? No, he chose this tiny group of people who were slaves in Egypt to bring them into freedom, to bring about a nation who would bring his good news and blessing to the world. God chooses the weak. And then Jesus appears upon the scene. And he starts to talk about the kingdom of God and he surprises people. He surprises people by who he hangs out with, who he goes for meals with. He goes to the home of a tax collector who is considered the lowest of the low because they were not only taking money from the people, they were working for the Romans, they were often taking for themselves, but Jesus spends time and calls them. Jesus welcomes children. Jesus sits and speaks with women. Jesus lays hands on the lepers. He reaches out with healing to many who were considered not worthy to come anywhere near people. He welcomes the poor and speaks God's blessing. In other words, he turns the values completely upside down. But... As um, Tim Keller writes in this book, which I'm sure we will refer to again and again over these next few weeks Hope in a Time of Fear, Hope in Times of Fear. And uh, it's a great book. And he says this He says, It's a grave mistake to think that these biblical accounts are just stories to inspire us about how to behave. Now, don't get me wrong, they are stories that inspire us. We are called to reach out. We are called to go to the person on the edge. But more than that, each one points as a tiny little thing to the great reversal that was coming. The great reversal. The death and resurrection of the Son of God. For Jesus. Jesus came not in wealth and pomp and ceremony, he came as a helpless baby in a poor backwater. He came and lived and died. He rode into Jerusalem. Remember, not long ago we were celebrating, not on a great military horse, but on a donkey. And he knelt and washed. His disciples feet he showed what it was to walk in humility he overcame death by submitting to death on the cross and then was resurrected to new life Keller poses the question if you could for a moment imagine okay that you are going to gather Some of the most influential and successful people who had advised top politicians, top business people, some of their clients are the most influential across the world. And you gathered this group of people in a room and said to them, okay, we've got this guy and we want him to become the most influential man that ever lived. We want him to become someone who in thousands of years people are still going to be talking about. We want him to become someone who is going to transform lives. What should we do? And their task is to come up with an action plan. That's an interesting small group question. What would they, you know, what would they come up with? But you know, I don't know what their action plan would be. But I know what it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be, well, get this guy to be born in a tiny place and um, get him to uh, kind of not connect uh, or become part of the influential economic network or political network of the time uh, and have him die at the age of 33 before he's written a book. I know they wouldn't say that. But that's what happened. Philippians 2, another letter that Paul wrote, sums it up for us beautifully. This is what Jesus did. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself. Nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place on earth and gave him the name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. That is how God made it possible for you and I to know resurrection hope. It's an upside down, it seems to us, way of doing it. But that is how God chose to work. And that has implications for you and I of how we receive this gift of hope, of how we live in this resurrection hope, and how we see our world from the perspective of resurrection hope. How we receive it, how we live it, and how we see. How do we receive it? Well, the clues in that sentence, as it were, we receive it. We don't earn it. We can't gain it. We simply receive it. And to receive it, we have to admit that we need God. We need him. You know, if you've ever spent time with small children... They're not taught to say this. And yet quite early on, they do not want your help. They want to do it themselves. You know, they're kind of teetering on the top of a slide or something, and you think, oh, I'm babysitting for this small child, and I should really go and help. And the child says, no, (laughs) I will do it myself. Uh, Because they want to prove they can do it. There's something in us from a really young age that wants to do life ourselves. We don't need your help. But the truth is, we can't. We can't manufacture this hope within ourselves. We can't work it. We need to admit that we need Jesus and allow him to fill us with his resurrection hope, that gift, that certainty that he is alive, that he loves us and calls us to know life and life in all its fullness. We receive by accepting that we need in humility to come before God and say, I need you. Secondly, we live dependent on him as a people of hope. And that hope is not dependent upon the circumstances that we find ourselves in. That hope is not dependent on how well we manage to achieve things. That hope is based on what Jesus has done. That's what enables us to walk into tomorrow with a confidence that Jesus was raised to life. You know, the resurrection is not just a past event. And it's not just a future prospect. It's a present reality. The tomb was empty. We celebrated with great joy last Sunday. The tomb was empty. Jesus rose again. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available for you and me. I'm just going to say that sentence again, because sometimes I think we need to allow it to actually hit us. The same power that raised a man that had been crucified from the dead is available for you and for me. He transforms our weakness. As many um, of you know, as Lizzie said, I've been on sabbatical for the last three months, which is a great gift of time. And um, uh, I was interviewed, some of you might remember, at the start of those three months. And I gave a long list of all the things I was going to achieve in three months. And actually, I only shared part of it, because you only share a part. And um, that list was really long in my head. It was gonna, I was going to achieve every life admin job that hadn't been done in the last 15 years was going to get it done in those three months. I was going to transform my house into this amazing place. Um, I was going to visit everybody I'd not seen in COVID. I was going to spend time with family, and I was going to do my research, and I was going to do the structure for a book. I was self-aware enough to know I wouldn't get the whole book written, but, you know, I was going to make a good start of it. And then I was going to be able to come back to work, raring to go. Watch out, interns. I am ready for you. And uh, I was going to do this term with such energy. And, you know, I could take on the world because I'd had three months off and found all my hidden strength. Okay. Yeah, that was never going to happen, was it, really? I had a great time. I had time to be with God. I had time to read his word even more than I do. I had time to see people. But but it didn't all go to plan because life never does. And, and actually, our five-year-old got COVID. And he's a very loving five-year-old, so he shared it with me. <laughs> so I had COVID. And, um, and five-year-olds who get COVID are... Um, not ill enough to just want to lie down, they're not well enough to go to school, but they're well enough to want entertaining uh, constantly. And, um, and then I, he went back to school and I hurt my back, and then, um, then he got COVID again. Who knew? You know, we're learning a lot about COVID, aren't we? And actually, you can get it again. Uh, and, and then he got a post-viral, quite serious throat, ear infection, which he then shared with me. And um, we basically coughed our way through quite a lot of my sabbatical. If you ask my husband, he will say all of the sabbatical you coughed. (laughs) Um, And so we got to the end, and and the week before I was due to come back to work, and I'm looking at the list of things I didn't do, and feeling honestly kind of weaker physically than I have felt for a long time. What was that about God? And I heard that quiet voice say, Joe, this was never about you finding some strength from somewhere else and you becoming this all-powerful superwoman. This is about you remembering. You remembering that I am strong. Joanna, you can't fix the situations you want to fix. You can't heal the people that you're longing for God to heal. You can't stop some of the situations that you're crying out, but you can point to me. That's what I'm calling you to. And, and actually, I had an amazing sabbatical because, because I got to be with God And I continue to be in that place where God calls us to know him. And in our weakness and in whatever circumstances we find ourselves, and I know that many people have far, far, far worse context than I have. I had it easy. We can know a God who equips us with the strength to take one step after another and point To the God who is Lord of all and gives us hope. When it feels like despair, we can know hope. When we know fear, we can know hope in the living Lord Jesus. We are called to live as people who walk in humility, acknowledging our need of God. Now, don't get me wrong, this is not about us all pretending to feel really weak and pretending that we don't have any gifts and being kind of doormats. And, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. God has given each of us gifts and strengths to use for his kingdom and his glory. But it's about us pointing to the source of those gifts, it's about pointing to the one who has given them to us. This is about the Lord of heaven and earth is the one that walks with you into your exam. The Lord of heaven and earth is the one who walks with you into that place of work tomorrow. Into that situation where you're thinking, I don't know what to do. We can walk as people of hope and people of resurrection hope, empowered by God. and that means finally that we can look out on our world and yes there is time when we are called to lament we look out on our world and we we cry with sorrow but we don't despair we look out on our world and we see the brokenness and we weep with people but we do not despair For we have been given hope, a hope that enables us to know joy in this moment and a joy that we can share with a world in need. I'm excited about this journey that we're going to go on over these next few weeks to explore more of what this hope looks like, of how we live in it, But my challenge to you tonight is have you received that gift of hope? Or maybe you have received it and you've allowed the circumstances around and the brokenness of this world to kind of erode away at that deep down hope that empowers you to walk with confidence into each day. thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast for more talks or information visit stgs.org.uk